Hey, hello, uh, my dear friends in Christ. Uh, my name is Abdul Manan Murida. I came from Bangladesh. I born a, a Muslim, a strong Muslim family, and I uh, grew up the Muslim family in 1998. Uh, by IMB missionaries, some friends, they went to my village and uh, he gave me one Bible. And I have remembered his, he gave, he distributed uh, that time 14 Bible in our village and 14 different people they receiving the Bible and then my dads and my moms like they are not happy my mom requests to me and you go back to your dormitory in capital city Dhaka and I'm going to Dhaka and when I'm going to dormitory my student dormitory they're not like a open door their door they said you are Christian and you go back you, you find out the Christian dormitory and I am very sad and I have remembered that night is so much raining and so much blowing all my dress and on my body, my bags, everything is a sweat and so I am very unhappy and I am crying that night. But you know that still I am not open this Bible. So and then I met with my missionary friend again and I asking to him and I want to know one thing, who is Jesus? And he said, okay. I will give you opportunity how you can know this Bible uh, and he gave me opportunity. Uh, I am finding the truth and I, I came to the Christ uh, by the I am missionary. That night I received the baptism, water baptism and I am praying, God please tell my heart what is my responsibility and God touch my heart for my nations, for my fellow Muslims. When I came, uh, became a believer, I followed the Christ, but I don't know what I am doing, uh, what is uh, my responsibility. I am praying, but I am blessing from the IMB missionary friends. They are trained me and they are giving the leadership training. And uh, when I received the trainings and I saw the clear uh, God's vision in my life, and I, I, I go back to my hometown and I am sharing the gospel with the people the last 16 years. Beginning 2000, in the 2000, 120 people became a believers and we, I, we set up the 11 house churches. I'm making the four people, I'm making the disciples. More than 800 house churches planted in Bangladesh, all are Muslim, they became a believer. 20, 25,000 more than people became a, a believers now. I pray for uh, uh, Ladimon and they will, they are your offering, your, your blessing. It is a, not a, a small things. Uh, it is a big, big things like my, me, my manan, he sends my life. Many people they sensing in the life. Many people is persecuted, but your prayer, your support is a big things, not a small things. That's a, a young man who's been involved in some a movement of the Lord in Bangladesh and uh, Eastern India, and the Lord has wonderfully used him. He's become one of our partners, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for this testimony of men and women from the, from the Muslim world seeing the beauty and goodness of forgiveness of sins through Christ. And I pray you would energize and support and bless the church of uh, India and Bangladesh as they seek to impact their growing, vastly 
numerous community with the good news of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So one thing I tell people when I'm trying to explain the masses of people is that there's a province in Eastia, in India called West Bengal province. It's in the very eastern part of West Bengal in India, and it's, it's the same land mass as our great state, South Carolina. We have 4.7 million. They have about 93 million in the same land mass. Just amazing. Well, first, uh, an announcement. Uh, this is a glorious weekend to celebrate the good news of Christ. We had a concert here last night at 7 o'clock. We have a concert here today with our choir and orchestra and the Low Country Singers and our praise band at 3 o'clock and again at 7 o'clock. We've asked people to register online to know how to govern and plan. We've got a ton of seats in this room. And Dean has asked me to please say to you that if you didn't register online, okay, that there is room for you. They set apart a certain amount of seats, so come. If you have a friend that you've been wanting to invite but you did not invite, invite and bring them today at 3 o'clock or 7 o'clock. That's the concert here. And also bring a can of non-perishable goods with you which to me is an oxymoron because everything's perishable, but that's beside the point. Non-perishable goods with you. If there is too an overflow crowd here, I volunteered to lead a hymn singing of Christmas medley songs in the gym replete with liturgical dance. So that will be, that'll be the overflow crowd. So, but please come. It's, it's glorious. It's, it's a wonderful concert, and it's an incredible way to Rejoice in the goodness of this time of the year. So today we're continuing our study of the early parts of the book of Mark, where Christ announces that the kingdom has come, which is the radical inbreaking of Jesus Christ to rule and reign. The Old Testament prophet says the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come. And the apostle said the kingdom of God is advancing. And that's where we live. So we're in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen to the word of the Lord in a very well-known passage. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank that this is the word of God, breathed out by you. And it is given for our edification, for our upbuilding. It is given as a foundation and a rule in our life. So we ask now that Holy Spirit, you take the word of God and make application of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In July of 1940, the unthinkable happened. The country of France surrendered to Germany. After the six-week Battle of France, in World War I, France, a country of less than 40 million, had lost 1.4 million men to death or missing in action. The country had been bled beyond words. And so when the Nazis came in, there was a fight against them, but in six weeks, the country fell. 
the, the German high command had said, worst case scenario, it will take one million German deaths to conquer France. Worst case scenario. In reality, it took 27,000. It was an incredible defeat. France fought for six weeks, and they lost 90,000 men killed in combat. 200,000 were wounded, 2.5 million were taken as prisoners of war, with 1.5 million of those men shipped to the eastern part of Germany where they served as slave laborers for five years. The unthinkable happened. And the result of that was this photo opportunity. Adolf Hitler, one-day tour of Paris where he stopped in front of the Eiffel Tower. The unthinkable. Now, I... I and in the aftermath of that, the French people, many of them had to collaborate with the German government and the Nazis. And these collaborators served at all levels. And in a book, The Cost of Courage, Charles Kaiser talks about the French underground and their bravery and what they did. That when D-Day happened, that the French underground blew up all the railways going into Normandy and the Germans couldn't get troops to Normandy for days and days and days. And they lived with valor and courage, and they were immediately put to death when they were apprehended. And they were brave French fighters. But the collaborators worked with the Germans. They were hated. They were despised in the aftermath of the war. Many of them were imprisoned. Many of them were executed on the spot. The women who served as mistresses to the German soldiers or wives to the German soldiers, or who had babies by German soldiers, were publicly ridiculed. And this is what happened to many of them. They had their heads shaved. They were led through the streets with people hissing at them. It was a horrible time. The collaborators. Now, I say that because I live in a country that has never been governed by a foreign power. I do not understand collaborators. I do not understand what happened in France. And I sing America the Beautiful. I sing thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. We've been blessed. But you've got to understand collaborators and what they did. And as you understand the collaborators in France, you need to bring that mind to Mark chapter 2. Levi was a tax collector. He was a collaborator. Now, a tax collector to us is up for discussion. Many of us don't glory in paying our taxes, and I think we should to a degree. I mean, we live in a wonderful free land, and our taxes support many worthwhile causes. And, 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 and so if we're at a dinner party and we meet someone and you're talking and the, the individual says, I, I am an auditor who works for the Internal Revenue Service. We don't say, well, here's my social security number, check me out. No, we don't do that. But we realize that that is a high and a noble calling. Not so in Judea. The tax collector was a collaborator of the occupational forces. He was hated. He was despised. He was a social pariah. In fact, Here's the way tax collector secured his job. Let's say that there was a county in Judea and the Roman occupational forces said, 
This county is going to have to pay $100,000 of taxes this calendar year. And, and, and some young men would come forward and they would say, we would like to be the tax collector. And they would bid out the job. And if they were selected to be the tax collector for their county, then they would give $100,000 to the Roman government. And every penny they collected above $100,000 went into their pocket. So being a tax collector was a way to become very wealthy very quickly and to become very hated by everybody around you. And that's what we encountered today in Levi, the tax collector. We saw where Christ in the last chapter, if you read, he healed a leper, he touched a leper, and then he said, go present yourself to the chief or the, to the priest to show that you're in keeping with the law of Moses and you can once again enter into society. Lepers were not embraced socially, but they weren't hated because leprosy is something that happened to you. A tax collector is something that happened of your own volition and you were despised and hated and, and, and persecuted and cursed. If you were a tax collector, you could not testify in a court of law. If you were a tax collector and you touched a Jew or entered a Jewish home, that home was ceremonially unclean. If you were a tax collector, you could not go to synagogue. You were cast out of the synagogue. If you were a good Jew, you were told in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not lie, bracket, except, or if only you're speaking to a tax collector, then you can lie like a banshee. They were despised, they were rejected, they were hated. And so we come to this passage in Jesus' public ministry where it says that he was walking by a tax collector's booth. And at the booth, the tax collector would sit there and say, it looks like your wagon weighs so many pounds, you have to pay this much tax. You have this many mules leading it, so much tax. This many axles, so much tax. And as you left, you could turn and you would say to Levi, Levi, I can tell you where to go, pal, right now. Everybody did. So as Jesus walks by the tax collector's booth, and you're a, a good Jewish lad or lassie, you're thinking, what would Jesus say to the tax collector? Will he rebuke him for being in league with the occupational forces? Will he admonish him and say, how dare you cooperate and collaborate with idol-worshiping people because we are monotheistic Jews who believe in Jehovah God? Will he just chastise him for being a thief on the take? What will he say to this tax collector? And he said something that blew their minds, that flabbergasted them, that overwhelmed them, that caused them to be thunderstruck. He said two words, follow me. And Levi got up and he followed. I was reading this week, morning and evening, this statement by Charles Spurgeon the British preacher, so true. He said, electing or outreaching love has selected some of the worst to be made best. Grace turns pebbles of the brook into jewels for his crown. He selected all types of people. First Corinthians says he's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong and the foolish things to confound the wise. And we know that. And really, if you're a Jew that day, you may have said, yes, God is gracious and kind and loving, but 
to a tax collector? Really? A, a, a tax collector? read recently about a huge block of marble that was acquired in 1464 in Florence, Italy by a famous artist who weighed in excess of nine tons. So they brought this huge block of marble into Florence, and as the artist looked at it, he saw some flaws, and they took the marble, and they pushed it over in the corner of the courtyard where grass grew over it, and kids played on it. And then in, in 1501, a 26-year-old young man was commissioned to do a work of art that would hang on the second level of the huge cathedral in Florence, Italy. And he looked at this block of marble, and he said, you know, I can work with this block of marble. So they stood it up, and they put drapes around it. And for two and a half years, he, he chiseled away and worked away in the sun and the rain and the sleet and the, and the drought and whatever, every day, curtain around it, two and a half years, from age 26 to 29. Then the great day came when the peace was to be revealed, and they dropped the curtain, and people gasped in absolute joy because it was a 16-foot statue that weighed over seven tons. And two of the people that examined it were named Botticelli and Leonardo da Vinci. And they said, this cannot go on the second floor of a cathedral where people will not be able to see it well. This should be seen where everybody can see it. So they got together and said, let's put it in the city square. City square was a half mile from where they stood. And so they, 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 40 men spent three days putting some tracks down to gently push this piece of art to the city square where everyone could see it every day in Florence as they walked through the town square. And of course, this was the piece of art. Michelangelo's David. When I read that, I thought, that's a metaphor for life. That's a metaphor for life. How, how like the Lord in, in our lives to take a tax collector named Levi, who was despised and rejected and a scoundrel, and, and, and make him a Matthew who wrote the first book of the New Testament. <laughs> how like God to take a, a Simon who denied the reality of Christ before a servant girl on the night of his betrayal and to make him a Peter who would be martyred for the faith as he led the early church. How, how like God to take a saw who breathed out murderous persecutions against the church and hardly approved of people being put to death and make him the apostle Paul who wrote at least 12 books of our New Testament. How, how like God. And so just a few things here. First of all, he says, follow me. And he did. But this is what happened after that. It says that he reclined, he had fellowship as he reclined at the table. He reclined at the table in his house. How many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples? Let me explain that. To, to, to recline means you go into a house and you sit down with your feet away from the food and you rest on your elbow and you eat. It is a term of intimate fellowship. You don't just recline with anybody. You're a Jew. You eat kosher food with kosher company. Eating, you're not eating at a fast food place on the go. You sit and you talk, and it's an event. Now, sometimes, Sarah and I have traveled, and we go to parts of the world where, where they have what I call table sharing, and it drives me crazy. You go into a restaurant, and there's a table there for four people, 
me and my wife, and we're sitting beside two chairs that are empty. It's a table you don't... And all of a sudden, people plop down. They start eating there. They don't talk to you. It's, the, it's just what they do in parts of the world. They just sit there, and, and, and they're having their conversation, and you're having your conversation, and you're going, I don't like this. I'm an American. I like my space. Do not crowd me. It's table sharing, and they're talking, they're saying things I don't understand, eating food that really looks bad, and I'm sitting here eating, you know, whatever I'm eating. Multiply that times one million, and you've got what's going on here. It's reclining in intimate friendship with tax collectors and sinners. And think about being a tax collector. If you're in ceremony unclean, the only other guys you can hang out with are other tax collectors and notorious sinners, i.e. prostitutes. It's a select group of people. And Jesus is there having fellowship with them. It's amazing. It's amazing. The third point is this. This is just an incredible, bewildering experience to all the Jews. But if you're a scribe or a Pharisee, the party of purity, you're bewildered and astounded beyond words. You, 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 just, you just can't get it. And so you, you pull the disciples aside and you stammer out some type of statement that goes like this. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? To say they're filled with incredulity is to understate what's going on. See, there's two types of people that worship here every Sunday, among other types. There are some of you who say, I am so bad, really there's no hope. I'm just trying harder, but there's no hope. I'm just bad. If you knew my thoughts, if you knew what I did. And then there's this group who says, I'm so good, I don't really need a savior. I'm just here out of social fulfillment to hang out with my family. I'll talk to you in a few minutes. Let me, let me talk to the people who said, I'm, I'm so bad that there is no hope. If only you knew. This Friday morning, man, the man, somebody came to me and said, have you heard what happened at the Citadel? I said, no. He says, well, check it out. So this week at the Citadel, a school that I love dearly. I love the Citadel. There was some freshmen involved in an activity that made it on social media and blew up all over the place. And, 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 and what they did was, was, was stupid. It was stupid. It was a group of guys in a room just being stupid. And I sat there and I thought, oh, good grief. These poor guys. I mean, these poor administrators at the Citadel, they're going to have to walk through this and do, oh, man. And as I thought, sat there, I thought, you know, this may surprise you. I have not always been this old. There was a time when I was young, and I, when I was young, I was also what? Stupid. Now I'm, now I'm old and stupid, but when I was young and stupid. When I was young and stupid, there were times that I did stupid things. But thankfully, no one had a smartphone videotaping or taking a picture. And I think of young people today, I mean, every time, time you do something stupid, somebody's got to film you. Oh, well. And the next day it's on social media. I thought, I just, I feel sorry for young people. I do. And I thought, oh, man. And then this thought hit me. There is one who knows every stupid thing I've ever done, thought, or said, and he still loves me. That one says, come to me all your weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle, and you'll find rest for your soul. That one, the Lord Christ says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock, and whoever answers the door 
I'll come into heaven and have fellowship with him and he with me. That's the good news of the gospel. It's never too late. It's never, ever too late. Two weeks ago, I received uh, this in the mail. It's a card. And it said, Pastor Brown and all the saints at East Cooper Baptist Church. And it's a Thanksgiving card. But really, it's, I kind of laugh because the card is, is really a card that a lover would send his beloved. Um, but then I realized that the, that the men who sent this card cannot go to Barnes & Noble because they're on death row. They have very limited card selection on death row. So I sat there and I was reading this card and names like Lewis and Jerry and Ricky, Taylor, Kenneth. James. And then James put a little postscript. He said, true love is what we have been given. And I thought, amen. God chooses some of the worst to be made the best. And it's never too late. It's never too late. Death row. It's never too late. It's never too late because Jesus called the thief on the cross to himself. It's never too late. So when you go home for Christmas and you're the people that maybe curse the gospel and, and curse you and belittle you and, and, and make, make light of you, and it's never too late. You just live it and preach it and love it, and you're bold and you're caring and you're love, gracious and, and you're self-effacing, and you're bold and you're loving and you're caring, and you're bold and you're loving and you're bold and you speak the word. Because it's never too late. As long as you have breath, it's never too late. So one group said, I'm never good enough. The gospel addresses that. The other group says, I'm so good, I don't need a savior. And quite honestly, the gospel has not much to say to you guys. Because unless you realize you're lost, you'll never cry out, I need somebody to lead me out of the morass. Unless you realize you're blind, you're never going to run to a physician saying, I need sight. Unless you realize that you're lame, you'll never say, I need strength and limbs. And that's what Jesus does for people who are broken. We share the gospel, we say the first step is you have to realize there is a great God who made the heavens and the earth, and he oversees everything, and everything is under his power, and he's good, and he's kind, and this, fullness, this God in the fullness of time became a, 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 a baby and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins because you are a sinner, and you've fallen short of the glory of God, and good works don't make it, and Self-effort doesn't make it. It's only faith in the work of Jesus. And, and, and so you, before you can really appreciate and love the gospel, you've got to say, I'm broken. I need help. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I read recently about a man who's talking to a very bright secularist, and she opined to him. Um, really, this Christian message, I, I have trouble with thinking about the virgin birth. You guys talk about the virgin birth. It's really, I'm a scientific mind. I, do you believe the virgin birth? I, I do believe the virgin birth. The Bible teaches it. it. It shows that God is truly God and truly man. It's part of the fabric of the teaching of the church. It's a supernatural event and a supernatural advent. And this baby didn't sin, died on the cross for our sin, 
rose victorious over death. Now that's a whole lot more difficult. And he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And if you really want to get crazy, one day he'll come back to judge the world riding a horse in the sky. The gospel's wild. It's glorious. So, so, and so, so the, the fourth point in this is, it, is that it's, it's just a scandal of grace. It's just a scandal of grace. A, a scandal, by definition, is an action or an event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage. And that's what the gospel does. It, it causes, it's a scandal to modern day man. It, it's a scandal. And the words that Christ spoke will forever be etched in our minds if we ever read the gospel. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call righteous, but sinners. See, the gospel is a scandal to modern man who says, I'm going to achieve merit by the way I live. There are tens of millions of Americans who are latent, nascent Buddhists. They just don't know it. Because a Buddhist thinks that if they live this way and try this hard and do this, then they'll somehow be accepted by the God, whoever you define to be. So it's all up to you. And I, I meet tons of people who believe that. But the Bible says that Jesus came to call not latent Buddhist, nascent Buddhist to faith, but broken sinners. Though there are others who find the gospel scandalous because they say God will grade on a curve and I determine the nature and the depth or the height of that curve. I call the shots. And the Bible says, no, God calls the shots. So a couple of implications. One of the main thoughts in this passage for me is that We're not to use brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not to use our calling to be God's people, holy people, as an excuse not to engage with and love people who do not know Christ. And one thing I want to think about as the new year approaches to think out loud with different groups of people in our whole church is how do we continually engage with people who do not know Jesus in such a way that we can befriend them? Only God saves people, but he uses believe it or not, people like you and me to take the gospel out. So how do we, what group are we going to engage in just, just to be friends, just be friends with? And, and all too often, I've been guilty of, of, of just, just not, not doing that. I, I'm thankful beyond words that when I was 19 years old, someone loved me enough and cared for me to befriend me and invite me to a Bible study. That was it. Uh, I wasn't seeking God at all. I wasn't doing anything religious. I was just being a 19-year-old and freshman doing nothing. And a guy loved me enough to befriend me and invited me to Bible study. I heard the gospel. I was saved. So the, the, the second thing here is that the, the church continues to be, is, for spiritually sick people. God forbid that we ever give the impression that we have it all together because we do not. In fact, I was reviewing the 1689 London Confession of Faith. 
recently in chapter 9, article 4, says this. But because of the remaining corruptions in the believer, he does not perfectly will that which is good, but also he wills that which is evil. Close quote. And I thought, whoa, that's strong. So as a believer, it says, and I think that's fully biblical, I not only will what is good, thankfully, but there are times that I will what is evil. Therefore, I'll never be perfect this side of heaven. Therefore, I need the body of Christ. Therefore, I need people in my life who love me and pray for me and care for me and, and, and who walk with me. So the gospel is to go out. And I was thinking about Levi. And this is just my thought. It's not, not in the text. It's just as I thought about it. Levi, the tax collector, the son of Alphaeus, who became Matthew. And I asked you know, myself, I said, why did Levi leave everything and follow Jesus? Now, if you're a fisherman, you can leave your nets and come back and fish. In a year or two or a month or two, I've taken a sabbatical from fishing. Because fishing was a legitimate industry and that was your skill. If, if you're a tax collector and you leave the tax booth and you walk away from being in cahoots with the occupational forces, you did not go back. So Levi is giving up his livelihood, giving up what he's doing, and he follows Jesus. And I ask myself, well, why, 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 did, why did Levi respond like that? Well, he said, well, the Holy Spirit's working his life. Okay, but uh, and I, th I thought, well, maybe Levi was just lonely. He, he was he was tired of being alone, just hanging out with other tax collectors. And he, he longed to be part of a group. He longed to get back to where he knew he needed to be. But he was just lonely. I think people come to Christ because they're lonely sometimes. And they, they see friendship with the Lord and friendship with God's people, and they need grace. Another reason we have come is because He'd been told so long, you're so bad, you have no hope. He'd been cursed out so many days, months on end, that when he sees this man who stops and looks at him and loves him, hope is birthed in his breast. Another reason I think Levi could have come is that when Levi saw Jesus walk by, he was struck by the majesty and the grandeur and the gladness of Jesus. And then Jesus turns and he says, follow me. I think Levi probably did, did this number. He's talking to me. I'm a tax collector. Boom, he's gone. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I felt need leads many people to Christ. But what causes us to grow in the Lord and be filled with passion for the things of the Lord, I think, is a growing understanding of the beauty and the goodness and the majesty and the love of Jesus. Listen to a few verses. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory 
as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Glory. Ask myself, do I see the glory of Jesus as I get older? Or or Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. But but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works that we have done in our own righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And once again, but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. I just, do I see the goodness and the loving kindness of my Savior Jesus? Does that continually draw me in to him? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, listen. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. is the light of the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus shining in my heart progressively. That's what keeps you strong and vibrant and happy and singing and going forward, even in the midst of tough times, because you see the glory of Christ. Now, church, here's this real quick, then we'll close. Um, we're having our Lottie Moon World Christmas offering. 58% of our budget goes to, uh, of their whole Spending budget for 4,500 missionaries comes from the Christmas offering. And, 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 you know, we've been talking about raising money, and there's a, a fatigue about hearing about raising money, so I, I want to be very sensitive to that. But this, we need to give to this. We need to give to this. So I'm asking, I'm asking you to really pray about uh, adult families, adult families, out-of-college families, $200 per person at least in your family. Husband and wife, 200 times two is what? 400, good. Yeah, you got it. Um, this, this, this goes to take the gospel out. I've been praying for ISIS lately, the, the horrendous issue of, of ISIS. And um, they want to kill you. They want to kill you. Um, and I, I just can't, I can't understand that. And, 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 and hatred and as, as I prayed for ISIS, I, I, I thought, thanks be to God for the internet. <laughs> because the most hate-filled, decapitating wannabe can accidentally hit the wrong key and hear the gospel of Jesus in Arabic. That's amazing to me. And we have people planted all over the world who are teaching and strategizing to take the gospel to difficult places. And we need to be bold our giving and bold in our praying. And just think about these people that, 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 that see the only way they can ever be in the presence of, of Allah is through effort, 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 effort. And the best way and the surest way to get there is to be killed in holy battle. And if you're a male, if you're killed in holy battle, you're, you're, you're greeted in heaven by 30 beautiful virgins who want your sexual favor. It's effort, effort, effort. And they 
listen to the internet, they read a pamphlet. It's all about grace. It's all about the gospel. It's all about God becoming a man and dying on the cross for our sins. So we need to be bold and gracious and caring and gracious and caring and bold and bold and bold. We do. So tonight, 3 o'clock, 7 o'clock, let's, let's pray. Let's stand as we close in prayer. I'll close, of course. Lord, thank you for the good news of great joy for all people. Thank you that, that the, the very first group that heard about the coming Messiah's birth were shepherds. And they were on somewhat the same playing field as, as tax collectors. They were considered the bottom rung, bottom rung of their society. Thank you, Jesus, that when you went by this booth with a guy named Levi, who had become Matthew, you didn't condemn him. You didn't despise him. You didn't walk a half mile away to not be tainted by a shadow from his booth, but you simply stopped and you looked at him and you loved him and you said, follow me. And you went home and reclined and laughed and embraced him. It's amazing. And thank you that the gospel is still scandalous today. It's been scandalous in our lives when we thought we had to work to do it. Somebody said, no, Jesus has already done it. And we believed. So may that gospel go out in our lives, um, in, our, in our friendships, in the music today, in this season of celebration um, to the ends of the earth. So blessed be your name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.